Well, you see the passage there that I want to speak from, Mark chapter 10. We just read, John just read to us. It's probably somewhat familiar to most of you. Um, even if you haven't read it, you may have heard it um, spoken of before. It opens, this section does, with people bringing little children to Jesus that he might touch them. Luke records the same um, incident, and so does Matthew. Luke says these are little infants, in fact. There's children, infants. They're small children, nevertheless, small enough to still be carried by their parents. And these are not being brought to him like many were for healing, but just trying desperately to get to Jesus because he's a man of God, they perceive that, and they want him to touch their children, sort of a way to bless them. In fact, Matthew says in his account, they brought them so that Jesus might put his hands on them and pray. And now the disciples at this point are growing very accustomed to crowds coming around Jesus, you know, everywhere he went. And they're probably getting not only used to it, but where they feel pretty special themselves because, man, all of a sudden, if they're not popular, at least they're with somebody who's very popular. And so for whatever reason, at this point, when these children are brought to Jesus, um, they don't like it. His disciples don't. And so they either felt like this was a waste of Jesus' time, there were people that were sick and needed healing, or... They just have better things to do uh, on the larger scale of things. I'm not sure. Somebody even suggested the disciples were mad because the parents didn't ask their permission to see Jesus since they were already feeling so special about themselves. But whatever the reason was, the disciples, we are told, rebuked the parents for bringing their children to Jesus. And then so Jesus, in return, rebukes the disciples. Um. In the ESV, which is what Jonah read from, we read that Jesus became indignant. I think the King James just says he wasn't pleased with them. He was displeased. But most of the translations use the word indignant. Nevertheless, the word that is there uh, in the Greek New Testament means a state of anger aroused by injustice. So Jesus was very upset about this. There was an injustice taking place. The people were doing what was correct, And the disciples were hindering it. They were hindering, in fact, the very purpose of Jesus being there for people to come to him. And then Christ makes this statement, let them come to me and don't hinder them for such belongs the kingdom of God. Now, a lot of people have taken that statement and done all kinds of things with them. They say, well, here we see that all children and infants are going to heaven because Jesus said this is what the kingdom is like. Our uh, Presbyterian brethren will take this passage and say, this is why we baptize infants, because Jesus said the kingdom is like this, and the, uh, the kingdom belongs to them, so they're part of the covenant, therefore we baptize them into the covenant, and they're there with us. But I think it's important to pay attention to Jesus' next statement, because he describes what he's talking about. He says, let them come to me, don't hinder them, because... Of such belong the kingdom of God. Whoever does not receive the kingdom like a child shall not enter it. 
So I think he clarifies his own statement. What is he saying here? Basically, unless people come to receive the kingdom the way these children have come here to do what their parents brought them here for, they won't receive the kingdom. So he wasn't saying all kids go to heaven. Our children are more special than adults. I think he was making this point. How were these children there? They were brought. They didn't get up one morning, a bunch of infants, and run out to see Jesus. Their parents brought them. They came because of a force other than themselves. They weren't doing anything for themselves. In other words, somebody was doing something for them. And further, children don't need to be convinced of these things. Little infants and children, they just believe. I mean, that's why we so make an emphasis on teaching children the things of God because they just believe it, right? You don't have to convince a little three or four-year-old about Jesus. You just tell them the stories of Jesus and they believe it. Somebody said to me this week, I think it's somebody here said, you know, you just stick your hand out and say to your little child, let's go. And they don't say much. They just take your hand and go. They, they just believe that easily. Not because they're gullible, but because they don't feel like they have to earn anything. They don't feel like, well, I'll believe this stuff once I get to a place that I'm worthy to believe it. They just believe it. And so Jesus says, only those who receive the kingdom of God, like these children, with a childlike faith, shall enter the kingdom. You see, I think he makes his own statement very clear. The kingdom of God is received by people like these children. They just believe it. Not people who think they can earn it, but those who receive it. Now, we've said a lot over the years in the church about receiving Jesus. But John makes what receiving Jesus means very clear to us. In John chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, we read, Jesus came to his own people and they did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God. What does it mean to receive Jesus? It means to believe in him. That's all. There's no magical thing that you do to somehow open up your heart and take Jesus in. To receive him means to believe in him. And so when we say a childlike faith, what we mean is they simply believed what they were told about Jesus. And they were there because they were brought to him and they received his blessings. The Gospel of Mark is a very hard-hitting, fast-action account of the works of Christ. I've told you that before. And the purpose of Mark is to try to let people know that this Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. And it's also an account of the works of Jesus that he has done for the salvation of men, not an account of how men can work to earn their own salvation. And so here it is. Mark is showing us Jesus in that light. Hey, people can't earn heaven. 
Man, church history is full of men trying to show or develop ways that we can do something that God would look at us and say, now there's a person that I would bring into my heaven. Come on in. You've done good. And yet the Bible over and over and over shows us from the beginning to the end. People can't do anything to earn God's favor. We are sinful and we are wicked and we don't understand we're not capable of doing anything that would bring us to God, but we can't hardly get that through our minds because we naturally want to do something. And here Jesus says, unless you receive the kingdom like these children, they didn't do anything, they're just here believing. Then you won't receive it at all. And so we come right into this contrast from children and infants who can only trust in another one to do their bidding and can't even think about earning heaven or eternal life or forgiveness. We come straight to this ruler who believes absolutely he can earn heaven. Or at least he hopes he can. So you go from these children and this illustration of Jesus saying this is what the kingdom is like to, and here's what the kingdom is not like. Here comes this ruler. Jesus begins to leave this place where he blessed the children. And a man, Luke refers to him as a ruler. Matthew says he's young. And we learn later in Mark's account, he's also wealthy. He runs up to Jesus and kneels before him. Now, a lot of times this rich young ruler, I think is painted in a sort of bad light that perhaps he shouldn't be. And so I want to try to show you another perspective and hopefully uh, take our lesson from this today. These four things about this man I think are very important. One, he ran up to Jesus. Two, he knelt before him. Three, he asked a sincere question. He really wanted to know the answer to this. And fourthly, Jesus loved him. I think that's a very important little, barely a sentence that Mark stuck in there. So firstly, I think his running would suggest coming with haste to this Jesus. He didn't want to miss the opportunity he had. Here's this man of God. Now, probably he wouldn't have understood this is the son of God, but they believed he's a man of God. He's doing great miracles. He's raising people from the dead. He's healing people. So he had this opportunity. And before he let it slip away, he ran to him. Because he had something heavy weighing upon him. He had a question that needed to be answered. His kneeling would suggest he had great respect for Jesus, right? This is a wealthy ruler. A man who himself would have others bowing before him. But he bows in respect to this one he probably perceived as a rabbi or a teacher of God, a respectable man. And he asks this question. And unlike the Pharisees and the scribes who were constantly trying to trick Jesus and trap him with their questions, he seems to really be struggling with this question, needing an answer, and rightfully so because this is the most important question any human could ever ask. What must I do to inherit eternal life, right? 
There's not a more important question than that. All of us are living now, but we will die one day. And we will need to know this question's answer. How do I inherit eternal life? He asked specifically, what must I do? So his question is correct, at least from one perspective, as far as him saying, what do I do to inherit eternal life? He recognized I need to inherit this. To inherit something means to receive a, a right to it. But he's asking, what do I do to inherit it? And the, the truth is, to inherit something, you really don't do anything to inherit it, right? That's how you inherit it. Usually one doesn't do anything to inherit something. It's given by the one who has it, not earned. There's a movie I saw not long ago, Knives Out. and I don't know if you're familiar with it, but it's a wealthy writer who has tons of money. He's kept his entire family up their whole lives. They've pretty much done nothing. But all of them all the while thought they were running around enough to earn the inheritance of their father until he dies. And if they find out he rather gave all of his inheritance to his to an immigrant worker's child who was sort of his nurse, personal nurse. And of course you find out later he was murdered by his grandson. Well, I hope you don't want to see the movie. But uh <laughs> sorry. Because he found out that he was given the inheritance to somebody not his own. I ruined it for you. But watch it, it's pretty it's pretty good. It's clever. But the point being, none of the ones who thought they were earning the inheritance got it. Somebody who didn't even want it got it. It was given by the one who owned it. So he was right in knowing that this was an inheritance, but he was wrong in asking the question, what do I do to earn it? In other words, what he was really saying to Jesus he was wanting, I believe, confirmation. What he's really asking is, have I done enough? And we'll find out, I believe, that perspective right here. Because Jesus' response goes immediately to the core of the issue. He asks him a question. The man says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, why do you call me good? One translation says, why do you ask me what is good? A lot of people say, Jesus is admitting here he's not good. He's a sinner like everybody else. But I think, again, Matthew clears that up by saying Jesus really said, why do you ask me about what is good? But either way, what Jesus is trying to do, he's getting to the young man's real problem. He thinks he does know what's good. He's really asking Jesus, do you agree with me what's good? Because I think I've done pretty good. But what must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says, there's only one who is good, and that's God. And so basically, he's answering the question, if you want to inherit eternal life, you better go to God, for he alone is good. And you already know, young man, that one must be good to enter the kingdom. But Jesus continues... You want to do something to enter the kingdom? All right, be good. Don't break the law. And he begins with what we refer to as the second table of the law. 
the last of the commandments. The first four um, commandments have to do, the Ten Commandments, we, our um, catechism lesson was about the Ten Commandments. The first four have to do with our relationship with God. The last ones have to do with our relationship with man, right? And Jesus skips to those. And he asks him, or he tells him, well, here's what you got to do. You, you, um, you keep the law. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness or lie, don't defraud or honor your father and mother. And so the young man said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these from my youth. So at this point, he's feeling pretty good, right? It's almost like Jesus is confirming to him what he already thought he knew. I've kept all these. Of course, if he had heard Jesus' sermon on the mount, he would know that he has not kept all these. Because Jesus said, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I say if you looked at a woman and lusted in your heart over her, you've already committed adultery. And he says the same thing about murder. You can hate somebody and you've already murdered in your heart. He brings the law down from an exterior, what I do, to interior, even what I think is a law. It makes me a lawbreaker and a sinner. So I can think wrongly. And all of us have to admit, we've thought about killing somebody before, right? Or at least we wish somebody else would kill somebody. We've thought those things because we've hated people. And we thought, I mean, good gracious, we can all admit to the fact that we've lusted after whatever. We, we, we see the point, but this young man, because from his perspective and the way he has been taught the law, it was all external. And obviously he hadn't heard the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't realize that the law was about uh, the heart and not just your deeds. So then Jesus goes back to the first table of law. He says, okay, you've done all these. Well, one thing you're lacking. In other words, prove that you don't have another God in your life. Prove that you really want eternal life more than anything else. Which means you really want God more than anything else. Sell everything you've got. Go for broke. Turn your back on the world. Trust God completely. Then you will have treasure in your he- in heaven. Come follow me. And the King James says, take up your cross and follow me. And then we read, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now, so many things run through my mind at this point whenever I read this. And I'm sure we've all been taught something about this. Typically, people will say, look at there, if you, if you have a lot of stuff... That means you're bad, or a lot of stuff is bad. Or everybody should sell everything they have and become a pauper and follow Jesus, or else you don't really want to follow Christ. Or if you're rich, you can't go to heaven. Now, Jonah actually read verse 23, one verse more, where Jesus says to his disciples, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. But I think his point is the same thing that caused this young man's struggle. He recognized Perhaps it wasn't the things that were bad, but what are the position of the things in his life? He said he loved God, but I think at this moment he recognized that he didn't love God and want eternal life bad enough to let go of anything. I don't think Jesus was saying, if you want to be right with God, you got to be poor. So sell everything. I don't think that's right at all because the Bible equates the blessings of God at times with great wealth, great possessions. But I don't think 
it's right to say, well, this man went away sorrowful and went to hell because he had a lot of stuff and he was wealthy. Now, I think perhaps we ought to look at it a little differently. One, I think Jesus was proving to this young man that he had, in fact, not kept the law. He thought he had. He thought he had kept the law, but the truth was he had not loved God supremely. I think at this moment he recognized it. And perhaps, secondly, he went away disheartened, not because he refused to sell out, but because he got Jesus' point. He thought he was a lawkeeper, but turns out he's a lawbreaker. Jesus simply said, if you want to do the things to get to heaven, to inherit eternal life, then you have to be perfect. And at that moment, this young man knew he wasn't perfect. Maybe he had lied to get his possessions or cheated. Maybe not. But in that moment, he recognized that what mattered most to him in this world was not even what he was asking for. It wasn't eternal life. Eternal life was less important to him than the riches. He thought he would do anything to inherit eternal life until he was told this. And then like meatloaf, he would not do that, right? There's this one thing he would not do. He would not surrender all. And so the truth is what he really wanted Jesus to say was you've already done enough. Because if he really believed that Jesus was, this man can tell me what to do, and then Jesus told him, and he went away sorrowful, then that means he didn't get the answer he wanted, right? And the truth is, we all do that. There are times that we want to answer and we don't get it. And it upsets us. But here's what he could have done. He simply could have admitted to Christ, I can't do that. I recognize in this moment, I don't want to sell everything and follow you. I don't want to take up a cross, whatever that means. I don't want to give up what I have. And in fact, I think he could have just simply admitted, I'm not capable of this. And maybe that was what he's doing by walking away. Maybe this was his admission. He knew Jesus was a great miracle worker, a teacher of God. No way he could have known he was the son of God, but had he known, he could have just said, Lord, I can't do that. And the beautiful thing is, he wouldn't have received condemnation, but grace. I hold out great hope for this young ruler. That somewhere down the road, he did. He didn't not, not necessarily sell everything, but admit that he couldn't do what was needed to get to heaven and believed God and repented of his sin. And I really believe that because the Bible says Jesus loved him. And here's a trigger alert. The Bible doesn't say Jesus loves everybody. But he loves his own. So here's the truth of the gospel. The good news. If you want to earn heaven, you can. You have to be perfect. You have to be righteous and you have to be sinless. That's what's necessary to earn heaven. So this young man was correct in assuming works had to be done in order for heaven to be earned. The problem was he didn't understand it wasn't his works 
and it's not your works and it's not my works, but the works of God. Jesus' works earn salvation. And Jesus has done what is necessary to earn heaven. He has done so that this young ruler and everybody like him and you and me and anyone else who will receive him and believe in his name will inherit eternal life. That work of perfection and sinlessness and law-keeping has been done. It just hasn't ever been done by a human. It's been done by Jesus human who is also God that's why God can give us an inheritance we don't run around this earth trying to earn it God gives it and because he's given it to us and we are the sons of inheritance and the sons of the kingdom and the daughters of the kingdom then he instructs us and the law instructs us how to live we don't live according to the law because we can't in hopes that God will say good job finally you're keeping the whole law because you can't because the new testament comes along and says if you've broken the law in one place you've broken the whole law because you're a lawbreaker right we talked about this not too long ago you can steal 10 million dollars from a bank or you can steal uh they don't have dime or penny candy anymore it all costs about a quarter or 50 cent you can steal a 50 cent piece of gum and you're still a thief So there are no levels of sin in regards to who keeps the law. Nobody, we've all, a transgression or a sin means to go over the law. We have broken it. But now, because of what God has done in Christ, we can receive an inheritance based on nothing that we can do or hope to do, but based on God's grace. Paul in his preaching in Acts 20 and 32 says, I commend to you God, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. God just gives the inheritance. Ephesians 1.11 In Christ we have obtained we have obtained the inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. God gives his inheritance to his people. Colossians 1 and 12 says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. I love that. We can't do anything to qualify ourselves, but God has qualified us. So that sounds simple. I know it is. It's as easy as what this man needs to do. Just surrender. Admit that you can't do this. That's basically what Jesus was saying to him. We have an inheritance, but it's just that, an inheritance not to be earned, but one that is already earned by Jesus and given to us by the Father. Again, all who receive him and believe in his name, he gives them the right to become the children of God. That's what it's talking about. If you're a child of God, you get the inheritance. The child gets all that's coming to him. And all that's coming to us is what God has qualified us for. But if you think you can earn it, you're outside the kingdom. You can't earn it. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. 
Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. If you're going to try to get to heaven by the law, then you've got to keep the law perfectly. But we don't. We look to God in Christ who has kept it for us. So our hope is in him and not us. You see how that levels out everything? No wonder the Bible says, not of works lest anyone should boast. How do I brag about that? I can't brag about something I haven't done. I brag about belief. I didn't even muster that up. God gave me belief. If you're here and you believe these things and you believe that this God of creation sent Christ for you and he died in your place took the wrath of God so that you might receive grace and mercy then you're a child of God repent of your sin and be baptized and follow him and receive this inheritance it's coming to you you can't you can't get out of this will this is the will of God you can't get cut out of it nobody else is going to receive your inheritance it's yours because God has given it to you in Christ and so as we close, we will pass out the elements for the Lord's Supper. And in it are these representations. The body of Christ that was broken for you. The blood that was shed for you. That you might receive forgiveness. And through these things, God gives us greater grace to understand and to be confident that the inheritance is ours. We did nothing to earn it. We just trust in him more. So you're invited, if that's you, you're invited to partake in this supper as we celebrate together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all of your blessings and especially Jesus. And Lord, I do thank you that it's not by works because without a doubt, some of us will be able to do the works better than others, though none of us would ever complete them perfectly. But if it's a merit system, there'd be a lot of us that never would have a chance from the very beginning. And it is a merit system, not our human merit, but it's based on the merits of Christ, which have been performed perfectly. So that anybody that can look to Christ and believe that He is the Son of God and that He died for the sin can be saved. And it's true, even a child can do that. And all of us who are adults, we have a lot of more things. We have a lot of more hindrances. And we have a lot of more ambition and goals. Nothing wrong with ambition and goals. Nothing wrong with wealth and money that God, you bless us with. But none of that can stand in the way of our belief in Christ. And so I pray that you'll break down all those things and show us like this young ruler. If there's anything that we think we can do to get to you. Show us your grace that, without a doubt, the only way to God is through Christ, and that is by grace, through faith. And we praise you for that as we celebrate it in the supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.